up in Carson for a boxing match, and the war has broken out. Ortiz <laughs> has to find an answer for that right hand my Don is going for. He's not going to win this fight. I mean, my Don is figured up. My Don is figured out. He can't miss with the right hand, and he won't stop throwing it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of On Queer Street, uh, the UK, Europe, actually, number one boxing podcast by downloads. Don't believe any other nonsense that you might have heard in the past week. Uh, I am joined this evening by the one and only Mr. Paul David Webb. Um, I think safe to say most popular and everyone's favourite member of the next big pod. Wouldn't you agree, Paul? Uh, Yes, and all podcasts that I've formerly been on, as Tommy Allen's called me a big podcast whore this week. But yeah, my third one. Oh, you've been on three now. That's good. Nice. Well, we'll we'll have to get you on. um, Actually, you don't want to go. Does the coalition count as a podcast? I mean, it's, you know, is it even radio? I I can't say I've listened. Steve Wellings used to mention it, but I've, I've never listened to it. Yeah, same. Ne- never listened to a single minute. I'm proud of it. We'll get you on the boxing voice I, at some I, point. We'll get you over on the American, I, the American airwaves. I listened to that boxing news one, but I, you know, I almost started taking medication at the same time, so I thought it wasn't a good combination with Matt Christie's voice. Or you should try and um, what's Spencer Viren's one called? I forget. Uh, toe um, to toe. Oh yeah, oh, God. 
Murderers Row podcast. Yeah, I, I looked at that when I, on iTunes once, and then thought, and no, I'm not adding that to my um to my playlist. But anyway, thank you very much for joining us. We've got um a fair bit to get through, and I know you've got um you've got to be away at about nine thirty, so we'll we'll try and do about an hour and twenty minutes. Um, starting off as is tradition, uh, with housewife's favourite six degrees of Tony Dodson. Now, Paul, I deliberately didn't tell you this earlier, so I, I'll tweet it out now. Uh, this week's challenge, everyone, you should know the rules by now. You have to, um, same as Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, you have to connect fighter A to fighter B via common opponents, and the person who does it with the shortest route wins. Um, what you win isn't clear, because amazingly, no one's actually managed to beat me at it yet. Um, this week's isn't too bad. Uh, we are starting off with um, everyone's favourite Scottish fighter, best Scottish fighter of his generation, I think, undisputably. Um, the man who iced Carl Frampton in sparring on numerous occasions, Mr. John Simpson. Uh, and point B is uh, one of the greatest Brazilian fighters of all time, Mr. Asselino Freitas, a friend of Barry Jones. So that's John Simpson to Asselino Freitas in as fewer common opponents as possible. I've done it two different ways with five guys, two completely different ways. I can't get lower than five, so that's the line. If anyone can do it in less than five, then they win um, uh, They win something, maybe a, a T-shirt of some sort. Uh, but yeah, so six degrees to Tony Dodson, John Simpson to Asselino Freitas, one champion to another. Now, Paul, um, I suppose there's only one place we can start, really. Bear in mind, I, I do the pod every couple of weeks, so um, the last one was the Hey Bell You preview. So I didn't know if you had any initial thoughts now that the dust has settled on Hey Bell You. I'm, I've, I've tried not to think about it too much, given the amount of money I lost on the fight. But I just want to say before we start that you and I actually did. You and I were the only ones, and I'm not going to say we picked the upset because we absolutely didn't. But we were the only ones who second-guessed ourselves during the week. Do you remember? I, I tweeted out... I feel like I'm missing something here. And you said, I feel exactly the same way. Why isn't Hay 1 to 50 or whatever? Did you have a feeling during the week that it was sort of almost too good to be true? It was one of those where it, it happens every single time you have like a big fight. You get all the nonsense before the main event. You get all the shows on Sky and you do start to question things. Uh, and I had it, I think it was, it was the Tuesday or the Wednesday fight week. And I just thought this is massively one-sided why isn't it yeah why wasn't he one to 100 why has this been talked about like it's a competitive fight uh, and obviously you always get a lot of people that will bet on the underdog just because they look at the odds and they think well i'm not going to bet on a guy who's six to one on where's the money to be made there but yeah i don't know i mean i didn't when, when the whole incident when he went over to germany to his doctor i didn't read as much into that as i probably should have i think i was a bit naive i just thought well He's gone over, you know, he's got a lot of money. If he's got a minor, minor twinge, there's no reason why he shouldn't, you know, fly over there. But I don't know. I just, I'd be, I'll be perfectly honest. I really couldn't work out how Belly could win. And I didn't believe that David Hayes shot. I still don't believe David Hayes shot. It's worth pointing that out right away. But you, I, you couldn't foresee it. And I think that's why, even though it wasn't a particularly good fight, it was one of the most interesting fights I've watched in a long time. I was captivated by it. I was sat in the um, in the pub. I didn't. I refused to buy it. Sat which, in the pub watching. Which, it. which pub did you go to? Uh, this was the Crown in Lichfield. Is the uh, the scene one? of the. A Weatherspoons. Not a Weatherspoons. Next door <laughs> to Weatherspoons, though. So I was in there before for the cheapness, and then straight to the Crown. Um, it was the scene where I watched a Joshua fight when a guy was telling me that Conor Ben was going to be a pound for pound future star. 
Um, so yeah, so it, it was just really interesting. I thought that Bellu, a lot, Bellu's faced a bit of unnecessary criticism. Um, I think it, you can't legislate for an injury, uh, and I thought he actually fought a very smart fight. Bellu impressed me the most, not from rounds one to six, where he was having to move and try and get out of the way of Hay. It was his attitude and what he did from six to eleven, where he didn't rush in. He didn't try and blast Hay away when the opportunity was there. He was very smart, very measured, was very careful with his punches and obviously eventually got the job done. I, Yeah, I think you're going to get on to is there too much celebration of, of Bellew's win? Yes, because he was fighting a guy whose leg looked like Aldi spaghetti. Um, but what, what can you take away from him? No one really gave him a prayer. I second-guessed myself a little bit because I couldn't see why the odds weren't wider. But I still very much went into that expecting an early hay knocker. I had the same. I had, by my standards, quite a bit of money on that fight. And as round two, that wasn't actually, it was round one. There's a bit in round one where Hay went at him twice and missed and got countered. And I thought, oh, God, what's wrong here? And then I suddenly saw my money disappear down the tube. But what did you yeah. what did, was your what was your bet i had um uh i actually didn't bet on hay i just bet on the fight to end before the seventh round well i had hay round two and then i had hay inside rounds one to three and then paddy power did a boost about an hour before the main event um and they put rounds one to three up to like five to two so i had the same bet twice i thought bloody hell that's good odds um, so I dived on that again. So I didn't have anything on the undercard. I looked at the undercard and hadn't really bothered. But I was just, I was just so sure that Hay would catch him. And it was, wasn't really about being disrespectful to Bellew. I just thought that Hay just hits far too hard. And he, he was getting him in place. Like he was, he was manoeuvring him and he was getting him into the corner of the ring. But he just, again, whether you want to blame the foot injury or not, he didn't seem to be able to take that little extra step to kind of close the gap. And I thought Bellew saw his punches come in a mile away. I don't think he really took that many flush shots throughout the fight. Um, I thought he, his movement was just too good for Hay. And there's one thing I don't associate with Tony Bellew, and that's being fleet-footed and having great movement. But he looked looked pretty nimble in comparison to, to Hay. He was quite ploddy. Yeah, yeah it, was I, a bad, it was a bad night at the book. He's the worst one I've had since Fury Klitschko. Yeah, I didn't actually bet on Fury Klitschko. But, I, you know, I hold my hands up. I would have... I picked Klitschko to win. I would have bet on probably a Klitschko KO. But, yeah, I had... Um, I just couldn't see how the fight could go late. I thought, um, you know, the money was, there was more likelihood of um, Bellew sort of catching Hay with some miracle punch early on than there was of the fight going to the 11th round. Um, I think the 11th round was something like 25 to 1 on the fight to to even get there, let alone for Bellew to win in the 11th round. Um, But yeah, no, it was was a funny one. And I was exactly the same. I I turned it on and I'd um, put the bet on in the afternoon uh, and I said, um, and I asked my wife if I could do it because it was, you know, a fair bit. Um, and she went, do you think, <laughs> she said, do you think you're going to win? And I said, I'm 90% sure that um, the fight will end before six rounds. Then after about, I think about halfway through the second round, she looked over and I was like basically in, in a sort of pray, praying position. And she went, what's wrong? Has, has your guy lost? And I went, no, I've just got a horrible feeling the fight's going to go a lot longer than I thought. Um, and like you say, it was after Hay had missed a couple. And then I, I think in the, maybe in the third round, or f- no, maybe the fourth round, Bellew took a couple of clean punches and he was totally fine. And then I thought, OK, you know, there's something, Hay's just off here because he's not, he, he's actually catching him, but he's not getting the same kind of explosive 
sort of force behind the punches. And then obviously um, my stream actually cut out. And then when I, when I refreshed it, um, Hay was on the floor and, uh, you know, the commentators were screaming and then he got up and um, it was clear that the leg had gone. Um, we've had a comment from uh, Josh, who was on the, the most previous show, um, saying, hasn't Bellew kind of, I guess, in a sense, undone some of the goodwill by saying things like pretending he didn't notice the injury and all that when, you know, it was a blind man could have seen that Hay was injured, you know, and, and there's video of Bellew's face reacting to to Hayes Achilles giving out. Um, how, how do you think Bellew's kind of played it? And do you think it's a case of him sort of, I don't know, not, do you, do you think he really respects Hay or is it a case of trying to, trying to big himself up in that sense? Yeah, I think he always did, but it was difficult when, you know, when Bellew goes on like the John Bishop show and, you know, he's been on all the, on the breakfast shows and so what everyone's saying, oh, isn't it great that you won? What's he going to do Turn man and go, actually, do you know what? I really won pretty much because my opponent got injured. It's, he hasn't been, I don't think he's been as as outward and bragging as he possibly could have been. I watched him on, um, I think it was on BBC Breakfast, I think it was. And I thought he came across okay. He basically said, look, David Hay was very disrespectful before the fight. Um, everyone wrote me off. It's not about what you look like. It's about what you can do in the ring. He didn't, I've not heard him too many times go into how he thoroughly outboxed Hay and how he, you know, how he knocked him out. And, I think that yeah, his re- he saw the injury. That fact, that clip that you mentioned is is brilliant. That when Hay takes that little step back and his leg just unravels, and Bellew just almost sort of smirks at him as if he'd say, "Oh, what's going on there?" Then yeah, you he know, kind of, he I, kind I of think nods, that, doesn't he? He he acknowledges like, "Oh, that look that looks painful." <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bellew, Bellew things that Bellew's gone from being a you know a world champion to be a, sort of a respected fighter for if in the boxing circles, but. Let's get it right. He had a, a mare with him when he fought cleverly on pay-per-view. That was his chance to be a real kind of crossover star. And it, he won the fight, but it was a bit of a disaster. Now, I, I kind of can't begrudge him a little bit. I mean, seeing him, all the Dave, I was saying the fight week, well, the week before the fight, who would it be better if it won? I said it'd be better if Bellew wins because I genuinely think that David Hay is on such a cash grab not interested attitude towards the sport, the disrespect I think he's shown the sport. And this is coming from someone who drove to Germany to watch him fight. I followed Hay round everywhere. And he was my first real, not sort of fighter, I, I would go anywhere to fight. If, if, if he'd have fought Klitschko in America, I'd have gone to America. That's the kind of thing I thought of Hay. Um, but, you know, Bellew's in a great position now and he's, he's a big star and I can't begrudge him that. There's, if you look at the last 12, 18 months he's had, you know, it's been fantastic and you can pick holes in it as you can with any fighter. But I'm really interested now as to what what's the next thing that Bellew does, because all of the champions at Cruiserweight and Heavyweight will still think they could knock him out easy. So he's been called out by everyone. Yeah. And, and since the um, since the stinker against um, Cleverly, like you said, he has at least the fights have all been dramatic, even if it's been a bit of a freak show at times. They've, you know, even even. The Flores fight, I remember watching that the day before the Hay fight to just see if I could pick up anything. Um, and even that was quite a fun little, you know, stupid little scrap. Obviously, Flores was totally out, outmatched. But, um, you know, lots of knockdowns. Fight ended in, in three rounds or whatever, four rounds or whatever it was. Um, so since Cleverly, he's been pretty exciting generally. And like you say, I, I think, um, Hay, I think the problem was, you know, we saw that he could make money fighting absolutely no one. Whereas Bellew, at least knows that he'll need to fight he'll need to fight a wilder or um 
you know, so, or or a hey rematch or whatever it is. He'll need to fight some sort of name. Um, Bellew won't be able to go to the Echo Arena and fight um, Arnold Jerzy, will he, and sell it out? Um, no, he's, he's certainly not. There. He's certainly not there yet. And that's the thing now. If you're if you're Tony Bellew, you've just earned a lot of money from that fight. But it's always that thing. He's the, whatever he does next. If he gets the right opponent, will be a massive fight. And I certainly, you know, I, same again, I wouldn't pick him to beat the names that we just mentioned, your Wilders, you know, he wouldn't fight Joshua, but, you know, the Tyson Furies or the other cruiserweight champions, I still probably wouldn't pick him in any of those fights. But he's got options now. And at the Hay rematch, it's a shame it'd be so far away because realistically, you know, Hay's going to be out for a, a good long time. I'd watch that. Because even though, like, it, it's, it doesn't it show it doesn't have to be a brilliant fight for you to want to see it again. I thought it was just very, very it reminded me a bit of um, the last, in theory, mismatch that was on Sky Box Office, you know, the, with, the, with the Brooke Golovkin fight, which everyone going into it saying it was going to be a complete one sided mismatch. And it was in the end, but it was very interesting for two, three rounds. You couldn't take your eyes off it. And I, yeah. actually, I enjoyed it. And I'd, I'd I'd want to, and it wasn't the same kind would of fight though, because Brooke Golovkin would you want, smash him. But would you want to see Brooke Golovkin again though? No, no, not right now. But I wouldn't be opposed to it in the future. I know a lot of people make a big deal of how much of a beating Brooke took, and he did. Um, and it, there are the wrong weight divisions, but anything can happen in time. I certainly wouldn't be dead set against it. But I'd for me, if I want with Bellew now, he's talked about being comfortable at the weight at heavyweight, but he's he was too heavy. You know, I think even he'd probably admit he came in kind of half a stone too much. Um, and I think if he was in there with someone who was sharper, who wasn't injured, um, I think he'd have struggled. But him against Wilder, that's a biggie because yeah, I, Wilder... I'd watch that, yeah. Yeah, he could absolutely nail Bellew senseless in a round, but he's so crude and so basic. Bellew's a much better boxer than Wilder is. Like that's one. If If I was to pick a a non-hay fight for Bellew that I'd want to watch, I would pick Wilder. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, you know, he's talking about, oh, I, I take the Joshua fight. I'm sure Bellew would take the Joshua fight. I've got no interest in that. I'm, I'm sick of seeing. Um, someone said the other day that Joshua is in a unification having fought something like 44 career rounds. And I'm just, that, that sort of really shocked me. And then I, worked out that it was actually probably true um and i'm not i'm not interested in any more novelty fights for him but i think yeah like you say bellew's a better boxer than wilder uh, wilder doesn't have a great chin you know i've got no doubt bellew could hurt him if he landed um we've seen you know comparatively sort of feather-fisted guys at, at heavyweight hurt wilder before and equally you know wilder has that power that could lay you know the, the sort of adonis stevenson type power that could lay bellew out that would be a great fight um i think yeah, I'd happily watch that, provided the undercard was slightly better than what we got on the Hey Bellew card. Um, if we lead into that just quickly, um, you said that you wouldn't mind seeing um, Bellew versus Hay again. Um, would you mind seeing Derry Matthews again after uh, an absolute shell of the fighter who was once pretty exciting uh, got into the ring against O'Hara Davis. Should we, well, let's, should we just quickly skip over that and then we'll get on to um, the Eggman, your favourite? Yeah, the, the frustrating thing with the Day Matthews fight is it's that Matthews has been given these opportunities now against guys on Sky shows where Matchroom, when Derry was in his... Because uh, he, he's never really had a prime, has he? You know, his career has been in about five different stages. But when he was certainly performing at a better level, 
he wasn't getting these kind of fights. Yeah, um, three years and three been, years ago, he was completely blacklisted, yeah. wasn't he? They wouldn't put him anywhere near a prospect, like because there was a chance he could win. And then as soon as the Flanagan fight happened, and it became clear that he was shot, and we said this at the time, I actually think on the next big pod at the time, I said I, I thought Matthews looked shot against um, Flanagan, or looked like he was he was sort of on the precipice of being shot. And then, you know, he got blown out by Luke Campbell. And as soon as he got done by Luke Campbell, Hearn was talking about O'Hara Davis. He was talking about Tommy Coyle again. He was talking about all these different guys. And it's, it's just so transparent, isn't it? The minute it becomes clear that he's got no chance to win, suddenly he's on every single show. Um, and I thought it was, you know, we, we predicted that Matthews would retire. We all predicted that O'Hara would beat him. I have to say, I thought it would go the distance. I thought that um, Davis might try and box him a bit more. I didn't think Matthews was that much of a sort of shell of himself but he looked and look this is no disrespect to him at all because he's had like 60 65 fights or something but he was he had no business being in there did he um the other week no it was uh, i mean ahara looks an interesting pro ignoring what he does outside the ring he looks an interesting prospect but he was tailor-made matthews was to get taken to take a beat in there he I remember seeing him years it was about 2012 2013 i was there when he fought stephen ormond and he looked, um, he showed how he could be outboxed and how basic he can look at times, but he had the power. And he went on his little mini run of decent results, but he looked, he looked far too slow when he fought Campbell. He couldn't react to the punches. He couldn't react to Campbell's movement. So you go, okay, well, Campbell's a very quick fighter, very fast hands. Well, the horror is the same, you know, it was, it was serving him up again for a, for a cannon fodder knockout. And yeah, it served its purpose for Ahara and for Matchroom to say, look, this prospect's just beating a former world title challenger, absolutely blown him away. But but, but, but is Cannon fodder good, it, good enough for a pay-per-view? Do you know what I mean? No, no. And this is this is the thing that Matchroom's pay-per-view undercards have been uh, sort of very much up and down. I'm, I'm always trying to work out what, what they want to get from them because pay-per-views invariably are going to be watched by more casual fans. Casual fans want stoppages, they want knockouts. So I kind of get why you'd make a fight like that because Derry is normally quite exciting to watch, whatever he's doing. But now that was what his, his ninth knockout or his eighth knockout. He's been he's been stopped that many times, and it's, it's, it's more than five times, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it was it was poor, really. I think people would have watched that and gone, okay, well, that kid Davis looks decent, but that guy who was fighting was shot, and I think. Obviously, it's a payday for Derry, and it's it's his last fight. He takes that into his retirement now, and he does a lot of stuff in Liverpool. Yeah, but... and he was he was on Box Nation. I don't know if you watched the Conlon card last Friday, but he was on there. He was doing his commentary. He looked totally fine, and look good good for him. He's a decent guy. He was a good fighter in his day, and he fought everyone. So you know, no absolutely no ill will towards him. But I think my my issue with the undercards is that um, a couple of years ago we mentioned Belly cleverly um, earlier. That that featured a an undercard of mismatches, but it was name fighters against overmatched opponents now it's prospects against overmatched opponents do you know what i mean it's it's yeah. even more watered down and it's really like i look back at Bellew cleverly that looks like a decent color now compared to what we're getting oh this god year. yeah and, and well the, that's the, and also yeah. and you, sorry you, you can almost add it you sorry you can almost add it up so if you've got if you've got the card at front of you you can almost if you work it out in terms of what was actually spent on that and it's nothing katie taylor's opponent would have been on no money you know, it's not like he's paying Ted Cheeseman lots of money, Dave Allen, David Howe. You know, they'd have been on nothing. But that was a that that's 
counted as a televised fight. Yeah. Obviously, it was Lee Selby's last fight of his deal with Matchroom, so he wouldn't have been on the basic amount. His, his opponent would have been on about 45p. And then, obviously, again, Malinardi is probably the most expensive um, B-side on that card. He would have been the most expensive B-side on that card. But it's not like he's paying Sam mega money either. So that undercard would have, that undercard would have cost nothing to put together, considering that, been... that what that fight did what six hundred thousand pay per views plus. Did it? People think it's, it's it was it was a monster apparently. Yeah. Yeah, but they always really they well. always they always say that, and they never release the numbers. I just and the amount of people who are streaming it, I think I think Hearn massively overstates. Um, would, here's a question: Do you think anyone and you probably know a bit more about this? I've got I've got no real idea what the lower end of the purses looks like in terms of what kind of your Eggingtons and your, um, uh, your, your O'Hara Davises are earning. Would any of them have been on more than 50 grand? Anyone on that undercard? Um, Maybe Paulie? Paulie and Selby, I'd have said it would have been the, the two, even though Selby was way down the card, I think he'd have been on good money. Um, but none of them are on, you know, none of them would be on a hundred. I always classes. They're not on six figures, that, are they? Yeah. No, exactly. You look at that, uh, cleverly Bellew card, there'd have been six figure under six figure purses on that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, and I think especially when you go up in weight and that's just another, another trick that Hearn's taken on recently, he's become very interested in small guys. And the reason being is because they're cheap. Yeah. So if you have a super middleweight chief support, you're paying a lot of money for that. If you've got a light heavyweight chief support, you're paying a lot of money. Invariably, if you whack on little guys or Katie Taylor, you can fill up the card for, for nothing. And that's that's why um, Kyle Yafai got the, the shot on the last pay-per-view. The Joshua one was because it's a world title fight, but it would have cost nothing to get that yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas you, know, whereas you cost, look at... But it's, sorry, com- compare it to something cool. like, goes, like um, Liam Walsh against Javonta Davis. You know, think about how much money... Davis will be on to come yeah. over here. Or look at, look at, I mean, actually, I don't know about Brooke Spence. That might be a slightly different one because it's a mandatory, but you'd think, you know, if, if that was a um, a unification or something and it's a, and it's a glamour welterweight, they're going to be on big money to come over. Whereas, yeah, Concepcion would have been on fuck all, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, the, obviously, I think we'll go on to it, the Callum Smith situation, but Hearn bid 1.2 million for that. Now, would that have been a main event in its own right or what would they have done with it? But that's the kind of money you have to pay for a good, not a great, but a good fight at that, in, that, in certain weight classes. It is just so much more expensive. So they have been careful with it. But again, I've been a bit, I don't really know of undercards at the minute on certain shows. I'd rather, I've always said, give me, and this, is, this goes when I'm watching it at home and this goes for being in the arena. Give me less fights but better fights. So give me a four fight card with maybe a, a kid on the bottom, but with three evenly matched fights or better quality fights. I mean, I've got, I've, I'm going to that one in Birmingham. We'll get onto in a bit, but I was looking at it earlier and I was like, Jesus, that's like six hours worth. And people make out that's a great thing, you know, but it's not, you don't need to sit from 6 PM till 1130 to watch boxing, especially when you're watching David Allen and Katie Taylor. No disrespect to Katie Taylor. I completely get what they're doing with her. But these fights are just... She, we don't know who they're fighting, but we, don't, we've no, we know nothing about Monica. What was it? Monica Gentile? Gentile? You know, we don't know anything about this girl. And that's a problem at the minute. He's using certain fighters as easy filler on pay-per-view. And he's going back on 
better quality better quality in the card fights. I think obviously the main event was very expensive. Hay would have been on a lot of money. Bellew was on a lot of money. So maybe they just didn't want to spend. And that has happened before. We saw that with Craig Frampton. He just didn't want to spend the money. But or McGuigan didn't, according yeah, to her. But I think in that case, there, there's nothing wrong with so something like something like Joshua Klitschko, right? Um, I'm not going to it, but there's a chance that I will pull together with some mates and pay for the pay per view because first of all, it's a pay per view worthy fight. There's no way that fight could ever be made without pay per view. And secondly, for something like that, if Hearn said, Do "You know what? I'm just going to stick two fights on the undercard, and it's going to be like I don't know, you know, it, it, it's going to be um, a Scott Quigg in a ten rounder or whatever, and then and then one other." Um, I, I'd say that's fine. You know, people are paying for the main event, aren't they? Um, and I think that's completely fine. But like you say, with, with something like Callum Smith against Anthony Durrell, that's not enough in its own right to, to justify 16 quid. You actually have to put meaningful fights on the undercard, which Hearn has shown a complete reluctance to do. That's, ex- that's exactly right. Because when I went to, when I went to Brook Golovkin, um, I watched bits of the undercard. I watched um, Pigface getting knocked out. And then... I, I didn't watch much of the whole fight. You know, I was in and out, and but it, it was there for the main event. As far as I was watching at home, I'd been watching it for the main event. There's been that many big pay-per-view fights or shows that I've been to where I've almost forgotten what the undercard was. Well, or who said, was on it. Do, I was looking back. Do, do you remember we said, like, I was, I think I was we, like, we said last year, um, sorry, just, just on that subject, um, I think it was about two weeks yeah. after Frampton Quigg, and I asked everyone, can you name a single fight from the undercard? And w- within two weeks, everyone had completely... And I couldn't think of any either. Like, we'd all completely forgotten them all because it was that. I couldn't name you a single person who was even... Was Conrad Cummings on it? That's probably the only name I could guess. Um, and he was probably fighting a six-rounder or something. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, you, you, were, you were saying, Paul. Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, I mean one of my favourite fights I ever went to live was Frotch Groves 1. And I can't tell you who was... If you were to ask me now, I could probably really think, but well, I can't tell you who was on that undercard. I, if you'd, I couldn't care less. And sometimes when the main event is that good, then the undercard just doesn't matter as much. But when you've got a weak show or a weak main event or one that potentially could be over and done in a round, you do need to have good fights. But like I said, give me less. That's why the Wembley cards work. It will work because they have to have fewer fights on anyway because of time restrictions. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't want a seven or eight fight card pay-per-view. I want a three or four fight, but with quality throughout. Not, you know, I, yeah. I like the Dave Allen story. It's funny. But why is is that really, is that really where we're at? Where we've got novices in Katie Taylor, the Connor Benz of this world, and Dave Allen on pay-per-view shows. Put them on TV if you want. I don't really have an issue with that. But, you know, this is meant to be a premium product, and they are not. Yeah, they're they're not exactly. Look, women's boxing is kind of a a red herring in a sense, because I I don't give a shit if it's Katie Taylor fighting – for a well, you know, for unifying a division, I just it just doesn't really interest me. So that so I won't I won't slag it off when it's a, a bad fight because to me, you know, I'm not really going to be paying attention either way. Um, I've got a hypothetical for you. Let's say Brooke versus Spence is going to be on pay per view, and early rumours suggest that it will be. What would you take as an undercard for that? Would you take something like I don't know White Chisora two or something like um, Luke Campbell in a in a final eliminator or in a, a world title fight, something like that? Yeah, I think obviously White Chisora would be an obvious one, but that's going to be its own show. If that happens again, that would be a standalone event. I'm 99% certain of that. I think it could do a standalone event, not on a box office show, but on a regular Sky Saturday night. Yeah, but but um, White, White's saying it has to be pay-per-view, isn't it? This is how 
kind of inflated the bubble is and and how um deluded so many of the fighters are that white was saying you know to to get that to get the rematch on it would need to be pay-per-view and like the idea of that a, a domestic level heavyweight fight you know between guys who've lost multiple times at the top level um headlining a pay-per-view you know an undercard like that would have to be absolutely stacked to um to justify it but um yeah can, can we just jump on bef- yeah so, sorry paul uh, before we go down the rabbit say- yeah go on mate sorry finish off yeah I was going to say, it's whether you go down the cut thing of, do you just, is it names or fights? And that's, that's, that's the, that's the, but, her, but, her, but it's has done, but yeah, he's tried, tried to do both and not deny them particularly well. Stacking shows with A-sided names against Dross doesn't work. Putting on low quality fights and just novices doesn't work. I think that, I think he'll hopefully get there. And I think Brooke Spence will need, something because people just even now people don't care enough about Kel Brook. No, that's and just he, a fact. They and don't. He, won't, he won't sell Bramall Lane out on his own or he won't sell the O2 out no. on his own. No chance. He'll need a big, big, you know, Golovkin sold a lot of tickets, didn't he, for that, for that fight at the O2. Um, if, they're, if they're trying to claim that that was sort of a Kel Brook crowd, obviously a lot of casuals there wanted the British guy to win, but a lot of people came to see Golovkin. Um, whereas yeah. are, are a lot of people in Sheffield you know, we we follow Cal and Ainsley. People in Sheffield are they're morons, aren't they? They're they're dangerous, dangerous, <laughs> dangerously moronic. They're not going to be they're not going to be showing up to watch Errol Spence. You know, oh, this guy's an Olympian um, who beat Chris Algieri. No one's going to give a shit. They're going to say, you know, we'll we'll go and watch Cal. And, and you know, if you give us a couple of big guys knocking seven bells out of each other on the undercard, we'll be happy. Um, I think Campbell would make sense for that card. Not that I can see it happening. I've, I've got a feeling he might have to travel for his for his shot. Um, can I ask you, Paul, just before we, we, we go down the rabbit hole completely, um, the final sort of significant card from, from Hay Belly was um, the final significant fight, I should say, was Malinaji against Eggington. And again, um, Eggington, obviously, a, um, a proud son of Stourbridge. Uh, are you from anywhere near Stourbridge? Or the other side? No, You're from the other side, side of the city. Wrong yeah. side of Birmingham, yeah. So, You're from the uh, yeah, no. side of the Wait, can, I, can I ask just it, before... It was- I, 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 I thought he would stop Paulie late uh, just because I thought Paulie's legs had gone. Um, but I was actually quite impressed with Eggington. I thought he sort of, again, he was quite disciplined. He didn't sort of let the crowd get to him. And I say disciplined, not as in sort of, you know, he was hit and not get hit. I just mean he's, he, he knows what he wants to do, doesn't he, every time he gets into the ring. And he just, he just charges, you know, c- continues forward. And there's a lot of Margarito in him. Um, which I love because obviously Margarito is one of the one of the best ever. Um, he, has he got an opponent for that European title fight that's just been announced? Yeah, so it's Serafino Rodriguez is who's fighting uh, on May the thirteenth. I thought that again it was weird when I watching the fight first time they didn't put the friggin' sound on, so it was quite weird watching it. And I thought he was doing really well, but on the scorecards at least Malinaji got. I think got a good even shake of that the first sort of four or five rounds, but he was far more patient. I remember I was there when he fought Bradley Skeet and he just chased Skeet around the ring and it, it looked like there was no, he was very one paced. It was a fast pace, but it was just running at him and Skeet just picked him off completely. I think he had moments where Malinaji was landing free shots on him or was consistently landing that jab. But I think Sam knew that, you know, Paulie couldn't hurt him. Yeah, Paul no. can't hurt anyone, never has been able to. So all he had to do was be in his face. And in the end, the shot that stopped the fight, I, I loved it. That was a that was a peach of a shot. And 
He is, yeah. Margarito, the style is, is a good comparison, you know, a very, very, you could say a very basic version of it, but he's a big guy that way and he's going to be in your face and you've got to be strong enough to push him away, but then also be quick enough because as it was shown when he fought Gavin, a little bit against Malinaji and certainly when he fought Skeet, from a pure technical boxing point of view, he's still very basic and yeah. he can be he can be out jabbed by a large number of fighters. Um, Rodriguez, uh, Pops was abusing me because I said it was a good fight. I've, I'd never seen Rodriguez fight. I don't know anything about him. Uh, and that was the one disappointment with that card was I hate having to Google people. I know everything. Um, and I don't. But yeah, so that fight is more about the belt than anything else. Uh, I mean, Rodriguez is one of Sergio Martinez's fighters. You know, he seems to have everyone who's relatively decent who's Spanish is under Martinez's banner um, but yeah I, I don't think he's fought much out of Spain uh, I know he's had the one loss but I couldn't tell you who it was against I oh, just don't know the, he was the guy who robbed Garrido oh my god do you remember that um, about, about two years ago um, Garrido fought uh, there was that clip going around on YouTube where Garrido fought in Spain and he lost a decision and then there, he was going mental and he was like kicking the ring post and stuff. Do you remember that video? Carpi was, I remember sh- it. He was sharing it. All like, apparently that was against this guy. So basically this guy should have okay. lost to, should have lost to Garrido. So I think we're talking, um, uh, Eddington should be the favorite, right? We can, we can yeah, say it, it, it's literally, it's a belt. It's a, a box ticking exercise in terms of belts. It gets in the EBU title, presuming he wins the fight because, you can tell they're kind of almost ready to throw him in with a with a, a big opponent, but they've just got to be careful because, like I said, he's still. I mean, he's only twenty three, you know, and it seems like the time is now to throw him in with something better or certainly a, a world level guy. But I, I just, and I'm a big fan, so I'm saying this as a big fan of his. He's not ready. Um, no, he, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's ever going to be. So do you do it now? Yeah, and no, it's, it's, Charlie Edwards. Exactly, or not, I don't know exactly what I was going. Exactly what I was going to say. Um, I like I like Eggington. Um, you know, he seems like a decent guy. He's a very honest fighter. You know, he's not chatting shit in interviews or anything like that. And he and he always brings action. But yeah, like you say, no disrespect to him. He's never going to be ready for a Thurman or a Pacquiao or a Garcia, is he? Like or or a Kelbrook. It, it's ne- he's never going to be ready for that. But. Could he maybe one day be ready for a? Um, oh, I don't know. I'm looking down, looking down the list. A guy like I don't know, Avanesian, you know, who fought the other week against Peterson. Could he be ready one day for a? Oh God, I'm looking down the list now. Algieri, Bizier, um, Robert Guerrero, Luis Calazzo, sort of fringe top twenty guys, maybe. I think that's what he needs because if you look at the people that he's fought, he hasn't really. Obviously, it's been it's all been English British level guys. Malinaji was the first fighter who brought a slightly different style um, and was obviously more well schooled than the guys he's fought previously. But he's never fought, you know, he's not been in with an American or a Mexican really before. Um, I want to see him think- in with someone. I want to see him in with someone who will. You know, like when like when they put Margarito in with Williams, a guy who's going to do the exact same thing right back to him. I want to see a guy, another guy with a great chin, who's just going to, and they're they're going to combine to throw fourteen hundred punches. That's all I want, you know. And there's no shame if Eggie loses like that. Just do the fight again, you know. No one is expecting. He's kind of he's playing on house with house money, isn't he? Because no one expects him to win a world title. No one ever expected him to even be ranked in the top twenty, which he probably is now. So you know, a guy a guy like Granados, you know, who we saw against Brona recently. Um, Granados might beat him, 
probably make him a slight yeah. favourite. But that will be a great fight. Two guys who throw a lot and who come forward and it's just non-stop exchanges. You know, I would watch that over a fight like, um, you know, no, again, no disrespect to him, but I'd, I'd watch that over a, a Cal Yafai 120-108 easy defence of his title any day of the week, whether there's a belt on the line or not. Well, this is the problem they're going to have on May 13th because Cal Yafai will have to be the main event. But the reality is Sam yeah, Eggington's the biggest fighter in the Midlands. Does, does, he, sell a lot of, does he sell a lot of tickets, Eggington? They all, well, to be fair, they all do. Uh, the East Side Gym, like they've, John Pegg has them all well scored and they do sell a lot of tickets. And he is, he is the most popular fighter from a, probably from a numbers point of view right now in the Midlands. But they, they all do because there's no, there is no box office take in the Midlands at all for boxing. That show I went to, it was Gavin Eggington. The majority of the crowd were tickets that were bought from the fighters. I think Hearn said something like, They'd done 400 tickets to the box office, which anyway, is, it, bear in mind, but, bear in mind but, there were 6,000 there. Yeah, and it, so, so it's all done directly through just sort of calling up or messaging the fighter themselves yeah. and, and just picking him up. And we've, had, we've had a good one in the chat. Um, I know he's slightly bigger than Eggington, but something like Eggington versus Guy. Do you remember the, the guy who knocked out Soto Grass yeah. late last year? Again, look, n- this isn't a pound-for-pound pound fight. It's not a final eliminator. No one gives a shit if there's a silver title on the line. That's just great action. And that's the sort of fight that pretty much any network... I reckon H- HBO would have that fight as a co-main, genuinely. Um, and people would say, oh my well, God, Eggie's Ag- on HBO. And then the commentators would say, yeah, because that's, that's just guaranteed action. And that's what people want to watch. They don't give a shit if Eggington's got the regular WBA belt or not. Like, it, it's, it's a really good fight. I, I think he can make some, some decent money in his career because he, he, there's a lot of fighters you can put him in with at that weight. He might lose, but it will always be good action and people will come back to see him. Absolutely. I think that's what they've got to do. They've, they've got to not worry about the belts. I think with him, it's going to be about how can we match him well? Who can we put him in with, which is going to work? And you can then, a fighter like him is transferable. So he's a Birmingham fighter who fights on Birmingham shows, but you can put him on a Joshua undercard. You can put him on a Kel Brook pay-per-view undercard because whether you know him or not, you'll watch him because he's good to watch. And that's, it sounds like a very, very basic thing, but there's a lot of fighters who have had amazing careers with very limited ability, but because they're excited and people, like you say, would rather watch that. If you that Birmingham show from a talent point of view, he's below Gamal below. You could argue Frankie, even though he beat him, but from a pure talent point of view below Cal by a long way, but he's the most exciting fighter on the card. And yeah. people will want to see him. People watching at home, it, depending on how the fight will go, will more than likely enjoy that more than the other fights on the card. Yeah, and if, if, if I'm sat at home watching that on Sky and someone says, oh, what's, what's the fight you're most looking forward to tonight? Obviously, I'm not going to be over the moon about any of them. But I will say, look, if, if, you, if, you, if, you met, if, you, if I had to choose one fight to watch, I, it would be Eggington every single time. And like you say, yeah, he's not as skilled as the others. But that's not what we necessarily always watch boxing for. He, he gives us... He always gives you value for money, doesn't he? Like even, I mean, even against Ski, he was like trying his ass off. He just couldn't, you know, it was just a bad style matchup. And there's, again, there's no shame in that. Boxing is about styles and there are styles that can beat certain people. And, you know, 99 times out of 100. And Ski would beat him nine out of 10 times, wouldn't he? But there's, there's no shame in that at all. I'd, I'd still rather, and I like Ski, but I'd rather watch Eggington fight than Ski, you know, if, if you yep. give me a random matchup. Um, right, sorry, I'm just concerned that we've, we haven't, gone on yeah, to yeah. Um, just a quick one um 
and we're going to do the sort of usual the usual um, format of rather than recapping it directly i'll just ask you a question based on um uh based on sort of the events jamie condon obviously picking up a split decision um over that uh i forget his name uh, rodriguez yeah i think his name was rodriguez um last friday in belfast i had some money on the the opponent at 16 to 1 just because i think that basically from here on out I'm going to be betting the opponent every single time against Conlon because he is so vulnerable. Um, do you think he's an action, an accident waiting to happen? Or do you think he's, you know, we should sort of treasure him as a kind of Irish Gatti, as they're, they've nicknamed him? Well, that was, that was the phrase I was just about to use, accident waiting to happen, and he is. But he's fun. And again, he's one of those guys where he has a bit of the Amir Khan about him. You don't take your eye off the fight because he could be on the deck any minute or he could put his opponent down. He is... A very, very exciting fighter, but let's be fair, he's been in absolute wars with guys who are not at any particular level. Yeah, he, he's so been. It's not. It's yeah. It's yeah. not like Gatti, where he was mat. He was in wars with. I mean, granted, he had some absolute mismatches, Arturo, but you know, he was in in theory world level or against guys who were ranked higher than him or around him. Yeah, you know, Conlon's been in some absolute battles with some guys. If you were to think right, well, if they were matched with other domestic rivals, how would the fights go? I don't think they'd be put down. I don't think they'd be hurt as badly as Conlon seems to continually get. But he's, he's a commodity for Box Nation right now. He's great. You know, I, he's I, I will always, people want to watch. Yeah, um, and I, I looked at the card on Friday night and I thought, bloody hell, I haven't heard of 90% of these fighters. I think I'd heard of Geraghty but never seen him before. Um, and, then, and then I saw Conlon at the top and I said, do you know what, I'm, I'm going to watch that because... Conlon, nine out of ten times, like you say, will, will give you action and it will be a memorable fight. And, you know, the guy he was fighting had been stopped something like eight times at Nicaraguan level. Like, he, I think he fought for a world title once and got knocked out in like three rounds. And he, But he'd been stopped six times at, at domestic level in, in Central America. So, like, you know, he's going to war against sort of the equivalent of, um, I, I don't know, what, what's the sort of accurate equivalent but it's kind of a british level i suppose isn't it that's the kind of level he's fighting at and he's he's in absolute blood and guts wars every time but look the the guy will have do incredibly well to win a world title i think i think he could get very badly beaten against certain guys in that division but i wouldn't mind if he never fights for a world title and just is in you know another 15 wars over the next over the next five or ten years um no problem with that at all i think i think and also to be fair to him i think he seems to know it he knows that he's kind of an entertainer rather than rather than like an elite talent. You know, I think his brother is much more a case of, um, you know, I'm going to win a world title. That's what I'm in the game for. I think Jamie is much more. Um, I'm in it to entertain. Uh, and if I lose, I lose. But, you know, the crowd are the most important thing. And it's safe to say that, you know, you get your money's worth every time you go and see him. And he's the sort of guy if he was fighting in London, I'd, I'd make an effort to go and watch regardless of the opponent. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like I said, it's an all-action style is, is what... I don't know if it's something that he would choose either. I think it's something that's kind of been forced him. He's been sort of pushed in fights by opponents. And like I said, if they keep matching him with those type of guys, I think you're going to get that result every single time. And in theory, you can't fight like this every time without there being some kind of repercussion. And I think that will be him getting absolutely banjoed by someone. But yeah, for now, why not? It's enjoyable. There was no one there, though. Bloody hell, there's about four people in the crowd, but it's a shame because hopefully now people will turn out for him um, because they know they're going to get a decent fight. Like you say, I'd, I'd watch him again. 
I mean, I watched it because I thought it could be good and it ended up being everything that I thought it might be. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, same as you. I looked at the opponent's record and I thought, okay, this guy cannot punch at all. And he's been knocked out like seven or eight times. He is rubbish. Uh, but chances are he'll probably still hurt Conlon at some point and it will, and Conlon will get cut or his eye will swell up and it will turn into a war. And what you said was exactly right. I got up in like the eighth round to go and make a cup of tea. I came back a minute later and Conlon was on the floor being counted and Bunce was squealing, you know, about how um, he'd been caught and stuff. Uh, just a quick shout out to Bunce as well, um, who I don't hate that much. But um, Jesus Christ, if I ever have to hear him on commentary again, that's the, I, I don't know if I been under a rock or something but I'd never heard him on the microphone doing play-by-play before and he was so bad um to the point where he would say something you know that Johnny would make something that was so biased Johnny Nelson would blush and Barry Barry Jones would have to say Barry Jones would literally say I don't know about that Steve (laughs) and and then the conversation would just end like Barry had to sort of call him out on it several times and you know, Jones is a fairly diplomatic guy, but he literally had to shut Bunce down at numerous points. Sorry, Paul, go on. Well, I thought when Bunce has done five live, for example, I think he's been really good because he only gets 30 seconds to talk. And it's normally in kind of cliche sound bites, but it works. You've got you've got Costello talking three minutes. Yeah. And then Bunce comes in. That's happened. This has happened. That's happened. Yeah. And then that's it, him done. Having him consistently talk through a round is a disaster. And I don't like, I don't, I don't dislike Steve Bunce. Um, I, I think he's all right, but you know, that it's a character that works as a presenter. I'm not exactly yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it doesn't it work as, as a, as a, uh, as a commentator. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't work at it's why, all. It's why and, Nelson um, doesn't commentate. Johnny Nelson couldn't, he can't present, but he wouldn't commentate either. He, he just, he's not suited to it. You no. either present or you commentate. I think there's very few that can do both successfully. Could, could you have imagined the, the late, great Jim Watt, um, doing an interview, for example, it just wouldn't. Oh, yeah. it, it just wouldn't work at all. Um, and I, th- I think, yeah, Bunt, give him his credit. I think he generally is a good interviewer, especially after the fight. I think he's quite. Um, he'll, he'll sort of usually try and find some original spin on what's going on, but he, he can't do play by play. He's just he's abysmal. Um, but yeah, right. So so we'll we'll, um, we'll leave Conlon to sort of go on his merry way. Just quickly um, to skip over the last of the the roundups. Um, Andre versus Kulkai. Uh, I haven't watched it. I probably won't watch it. Uh, I heard that it should have been a unanimous decision. But equally, look, I'm a really big Andrade fan, but I'm not interested in these types of fights anymore. So, uh, Paul, if you've got anything to say about that at all, because I know it was a bit of a stinker. Uh, no, I, I didn't watch it live. I watched it the following day. I think it was a shame because Andrade has got a reputation of not being the most exciting fighter, despite being technically very good. Um, and it wasn't the best fight. I think it was much closer than it probably should have been. Um, but yeah, it was. It was a you know, it should have been a unanimous decision. I thought he won the fight by by three or four rounds. But it was it was unnecessarily competitive from Andrade's side. And when you need someone to really grab 154 pounds by the balls and kind of you know prove to people it's not this stinker of a division that most fans believe it is, um, that wasn't the performance to do it. Um, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's a shame. You see, but it looks like the Lara fight might happen now because he's got the regular and Lara's got the super belt or whatever it is, and maybe they'll be unifying them. So we'll we'll hold hold our uh, cross our fingers and um, hope that that one comes off. Um, just just the final final two fights that were actually exciting. Um, very quickly on Thurman Garcia. Um, funnily enough, for a fight that was pretty much a, almost a fifty fifty, without 
sounding big-headed, it played out pretty much exactly as I thought it would. I thought Thurman would win a competitive decision, and I had it about 8-4. I thought the right guy won. I thought Thurman was um, a bit quicker. I thought he started really well. And then I thought Garcia just kind of did that the Garcia thing, where he fights every round at the same pace, and Thurman took a few rounds off, and Garcia sort of came back into it. Um, forget the, the actual fight, which wasn't as dramatic as we'd hoped. Uh, where would you like to see the winner and the loser go next? So their immediate next fight, what would you like to see? A Garcia Khan, I think, is just uh, the most obvious fight in the world to make for me. Um, the first fight was while it lasted was exciting. Both of them now are in a position where they maybe need each other a little bit. Khan has just chased and chased and doing and done nothing. Um, it's a fight I think that Khan has a chance in. Um, they and need a name. Alter- they? Yeah, and I think they're both PBC guys or they're both Heyman guys. It's an it's an easier fight to make. I don't think they'll go that route. Um, I was obviously I've. I've been a big fan of Garcia as a, I've, I really liked him. I mean, I've taken quite a bit of heat when he was, you know, in poor fights or some of the stuff his dad's come out with about not wanting to, to fight the best. But at the end of the day, he fought Khan as an underdog, fought Matisse as an underdog. Uh, and, or not a massive underdog, but he was betting wise, Matisse was favourite. Uh, and again, Thurman, I thought that the first round really shook Garcia up. And I don't think he ever really quite settled the, into the fight. Uh, Thurman fought better than I thought he was going to. I thought he was fairly impressive. Uh, Thurman now believes he's the best 147-pound fighter in the world. He isn't. That's Manny Pacquiao. Um, That fight isn't going to happen. So what do you do with Thurman? It's difficult. He's got the size. He could go up again. But Uh, I don't know. The winner of Brook versus... um, Winner of Brooks Spence potentially is an avenue they could go. I mean, there's a there's, so there's a lot of good fights being made at 147, but there's still no there is no obvious summit. If you look at it almost as two semi-finals, Brook and Spence and Thurman and Garcia, the winners fighting the winners. I think that a Spence Thurman fight, for example, could be very interesting. Uh, but obviously I, I, for I, me, I, Man, Manny's still number one. Yeah, Manny is number one, but yeah, like you said, sadly that fight that fight is not going to happen. Obviously, ideal world, Thurman Pacquiao to determine definitively who is the number one and then the winner of that could fight the winner of Brooke Spence ideal world sadly not one we live in um I think you could I, I'm leaning towards just because the timings won't work out quite um it won't work out that well for, for for Thurman to sort of wait around for six months for the winner of Brooke Spence um and I I think Thurman will want to be active and will because he's sort of got a bit of momentum back now I think after he'd stalled for a while um, Porter and Garcia, he's got the momentum back. I can see Thurman Broner next, just because I think it's an easy sell, and I think they might just want to fuck Broner off. Um, and then maybe the winner of that, which would almost certainly be Thurman, would fight the, the Spence Brook winner. Um, that's my early prediction. No idea what will happen, but um, I, could, I could see Thurman, purely for lack of opponents, um, maybe uh, fighting Broner and hopefully hopefully knocking him out. Um, and then just a quick one, Paul, la- la- last um, wrap-up. Stevens versus Lemieux. Simple question. Was it the best KO of the year so far? I'm a big fan of a one-punch knockout. So I think it's better than Garcia's latter cannon because I thought, obviously, as as a combination, I think that a one-punch hammer always looks more impressive. So I would edge it over that. So I'd probably say yes. At the minute it is, but it's March. And let's be honest, I think my my knockout of the year last year was... um, I think I gave it to Hassan and Dam. Lennox Clark. And that was in what? 
No, well, Lennox, Lennox just gets it. As a, he's going he's gonna to get fire of the year on us this year after he cleans up. Um, let that knock out Lennox Endarm was fantastic, to be fair. Who did Endarm yeah. knock out? Was, Black, was it Blanc- Blanco? Blanco, Blanco, or was yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, so right. yeah, that was my um, that was my knockout of the year, and that was what December the twentieth or something like that. So you never like any of these awards, you have to leave it very open. But certainly so far, it was a left. First of all, when someone throws a left hook like that, it's beautiful. And you know those two. It, that was a, again, that was a smart fight to make. You could have easily made a case for both going into it. And Lemieux, you know, he's a banger, basic in a lot of ways, but he's an absolute banger. And that was a beautiful shot. So yeah, I'd give it over. That. I mean. Got a lot of people would still pick Garcia, and I can understand why. It was very dramatic, but yeah, the single punch is what always tends to win it for me. I think um, one of the things I actually watched um, Golovkin Lemieux, and I watched uh, Lemieux versus Tapia back um, last week, sort of before uh, the Stevens fight. And in each fight, Lemieux rehydrated to um, around one seven five. And yeah, I actually agreed with HBO that. Um, he looked a bit kind of not fleshier, but he looked a bit sort of thicker than usual. Um, he will really struggle if he has to go up to one six eight. So he better hope that he can he can sort of trim himself down a bit more and stay at one sixty. Can you imagine a guy like Lemieux against a DeGale or a Callum Smith or whatever? They'd be sort of three or four inches taller than him. Um, David Lemieux's arms are about the length of a child's arms. Genuinely, that he's got proper sort of T Rex. He's got like the same reach as Rigo. Um, he will really struggle if he has to move up. Uh, so, yeah, uh, hopefully we can see him. Um, I, I'd quite like to see him against Eubank Jr. Again, probably won't happen because, um, you know, we, we don't live in an ideal world, but I think that'll be, that'll be a great fight. Um, or possibly uh, Lemieux against a guy like Kurt Zidze, who's fighting Tommy Langford. I know that, again, it won't happen because of the belts and everything, but that'll be a great action fight. Um, we'll see where he goes, but look, we all like Lemieux. He's willing to, he's willing to fight the best and... Um, Again, like Eggington, he, he brings it every time. Now, Paul, um, that's the previews done. Thank you for bearing with us. We'll have to skip through this fairly quickly. But um, I know the reason you came on is obviously to discuss um, boxing's return to its spiritual home of Birmingham with the, um, the massive card announced for, when is it? Uh, May, May the 5th or something like that? Is it? May the, 30, May the 13th. May the 13th. Uh, at the, yeah, at the beautiful Barclay Card Arena, the formerly known as the National Indoor Arena uh, in Birmingham. It's, yeah, obviously, you know, I'm a big Midlands mongo when it comes to fights like shows like this. What I really like about it is every single fighter so far, because there is still scope for people to be added, they're all Midlands fighters. That doesn't do a great deal for people outside the area, you know, people watching it on TV, because the reason why so many of the Midlands shows have been terrible and some of them have been real stinkers is because we had the, the Joshua one when Callum Smith was on it, you know, guys from outside the area fighting absolute dross one round my fights. One of the cards I think was done by like quarter to 10. Um, but this is, it's the area's grown from having one or two potential guys you could put on it and some ticket sellers to now having a genuine world. This is one thing again, your fight doesn't get enough credit because of his weight class, a genuine world champion who beat not the best in the division, but a good fighter he doesn't have a regular belt, an interim belt or anything like that. It's a genuine world title. Um, I can't tell you really much about his opponent, um, which is a problem, but that's super flyweight for you. Sometimes there's a lot of quality there, but the rankings are quite shallow. As They're shallow in England and they're even around the world. You know, the bottom of the top 15 isn't the best. Um, obviously, yeah, Edgington, you're, to, to, Sorry, just, yeah, just to finish on, on Yafai, um, to his credit, 
Um, I will obviously we'll give him we'll give him a soft first defence um, as, yeah. as a sort of grace period because, like you say, um, Concepcion was past his best, and I think most of us picked Yafai to win. You and I, I know, certainly did pick him to win, but he, yeah. he was he was still a proven world level guy. He wasn't a Charles Martin or any you know or, or sort of some some unknown guy who who got who got a vacant shot through politics. You know, Concepcion was a, a proper world champion, and uh, Yafai dominated him and totally deserved to win so full credit for that and to his to his credit since then he's repeatedly and I think this hints at what you said about the division being a bit shallow or at least in terms of name value I almost every interview I see with Yafai he talks about unifications doesn't he unification yeah. unification which is look I'll give him the benefit of the doubt for now I know that Hearn Hearn uh, has you know he can promise the earth can't he and then not deliver but um I'll give Yafai credit I'll say that I believe him that he wants unifications and if 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 you know, if you've got two champions facing off in that division, those are some high, high level fights. So hopefully, um, you know, towards the, the end of this year, second half of 2017, we can see him um, bring bring a real name over in the division. Yeah, I hope so. And again, because the money isn't there, these are the kind of fights that can and should be made over here. I mean, obviously, if the offer, I don't think that Cal would shy away from fighting outside the UK, but there's no reason why a unification or a high-level fight shouldn't happen in in England. If not Birmingham, then on as part of another show. Uh, and like I said, he's, he's there's a huge amount of talent um, that Yafai has. It was difficult initially. A lot of people thought he was quite overrated because of the guys he was in with, but. It is a hard division to match fighters, and it was a massive leap when he fought Conception, even if he was um, certainly past his prime. And he, he boxed beautifully that night. And his brother, again, is not quite as exciting as Cal, and Cal's not exactly Mickey Ward. But he, Gamal, again, a huge amount of talent. I like the fight they put him in with with Sean Davis, because, again, another, another good bit about this card is that a lot of the fights, I could they could have picked different opponents and just thrown them in, but... Going down that card, Sean Davis again in Birmingham fire. He won't win that fight. Gamal will beat him, but he's really going to be up for it. Ryan Kelly, Adam Harper, again, both unbeaten guys, sort of seven and oh, eight and oh, both from the area, and it means that a little bit more. And I know people have slagged off Gavin versus Dave Ryan, but give me Dave Ryan over the per- the kind of opponent I thought they were going to put Gavin in with. Dave Ryan may be shot, may have been stopped by um the obviously very, very talented Josh Taylor. But let's be right, Frankie has not lived the life, got knocked out in his last fight. You know, he's had so many troubles outside the ring. Why should he get a better opponent than that? You know, I think it'd have been unfair almost to hand him a real um, a real top quality fight or a, a fight for a belt. He's not earned it at the minute. Right. Um, yeah, Paul, it brings me on very nicely there. Thank you for that to, to Frankie Gavin, because obviously I know that you're, you're, you're a sort of Gavin fan. And I think we all were initially. Um, he's obviously a, it was a very, very talented guy. You mentioned the contrast with Eggington. You know, Gavin's got a thousand times more natural talent than Eggington. But the work ethic is obviously at different ends of the spectrum. Um, I think Gavin in some ways embodies many of the worst traits about British fighters in terms of the entitlement, um, the the tendency to sort of blame, always shift the blame onto other people and all the rest of it. But equally, I can see that in some ways he has got a lot of talent in the ring. Um, and, you know, he's had some really good performances. I thought I thought what he did to, um, uh, was it Rendell Munro when he knocked him out in like eight rounds or whatever? Denton, um, Denton Vassell. Denton Vassell, sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that was a brilliant performance. I remember thinking that Vassell had a good chance going into that fight. Um, and Gavin absolutely off the back foot took him to school. Great performance. But equally, he's been really underwhelming at times as well. And I, I remember... 
um, I'm sure I've told this before, but um, I, I, I was I was in the arena for Brook for Brook Gavin, um, and I basically you know I paid my money to see Selby Gradovich and to see Mitchell against Linares, and I left before the main event because I just knew that Gavin wasn't going to try um, and wasn't showing up to win, and um, you know he, he he quite clearly he went into his shell very early that night and just you know it, it was very obvious to anyone watching that he didn't belong at that weight class. Um, so my question to you is, Paul. Forget this, you know, I agree with you, he deserves a he deserves a get well fight. So I've got no issue with this matchup. Um do you think he will ever make 140 consistently, hand on heart? Honestly, no. Um he's got a better chance now than he probably has in a while because John Pegg and Cunahan work their guys hard, you know, and he will I think it will be a bit of an eye-opener for him. I'd like to think it is being in the gym with some of these kids who they do sparring on a Sunday, for example, which doesn't sound that unusual, maybe people listening in, but for fighters to drag themselves out of bed to go and do sprints or sparring on Sundays and they get a hell of a turnout. You know, the east side gym that he's at now, you know, it's... Can can I ask him... I, yeah. I saw I saw recently that he changed trainers and sort of moved across town to Eggington's gym. What was the yeah. reason behind that? Was it purely just he thought, look, I'm going to try something different? Or was there like a, a fallout or anything? Well, no, him and John Pegg, who's Eggington's trainer, have, have been close for a long time. They've known each other for a long time. Um, I, thought, I remember, right, I might be wrong saying this, but I'm sure they live on the same street or something like that. You know, they, they've always known of each other. But obviously, Frankie had a long relationship with the previous trainer. Um, and this move to Yafai's trainer was, I don't know, again, it was kind of a, he saw it as, I'm too comfortable with Tom Chaney. I'm going to move to Max McCracken and this is going to be, you know, my new start. And it just wasn't, he didn't, the, the weight disaster that was the, the Eggington scenario, which has happened for him too many times in his career. Obviously, the Olymp- going back to the Olympics, which was just a cock up completely. Um, what this represents is genuinely his last chance. He's with a trainer who really cares. And I'll tell you what, John Pegg, what what I look, we're going back to Eggington Malinaji fight. My favourite bit of that fight was when Malinaji got knocked out. He collapsed in um, Eggington's corner. Eggington's just got the biggest win of his career. He's running around the ring celebrating. John Pegg is with, with Malinaji, helping him to his seat and giving him some water. And he's a top guy. And if anyone can motivate and get Frankie in shape, it will be him. Frankie Gavin can't do 140 pounds. He just can't and he won't. I'd love to be proven but, but wrong. He's, I'd he's love said, to see, but he just can't do it. This one's at, what, is it at 145, this one? And he's with the 145 aim of, against Dave yeah, With the aim of moving down. I mean, look, it, maybe he's, he's fooling himself, but I think, look, if you can't do 140, if you're never going to get there, then... What's the, what's the point of doing 145? You know, just you might as well just cash out at 147 because, you know, he's, he has no chance above British level at 147. It's never going to happen. The, the, the guys are just too big. No. But equally, I mean, maybe he just cashes out against, against British level guys um, at, at full welter. I don't know. I, I agree with you. I'm very sceptical because every single time this has happened before, Gavin has come out with an excuse uh, and it's gone wrong, basically. Um, but but look, I, I'm I'm not a fan of the guy. But I, again, I'd love to be proved wrong. Same as you. Um, I'd like him to go down to 140. Partly because there are no good British fighters at 140, really. 
um, or sorry, there aren't no, but there are um, there are few British fighters at 140. 140 is quite a barren division generally at the moment. So Gavin, if he could consistently make that weight, could actually beat quite a few of those guys. You know, he'd be comfortably top 20 if he could if he could make the weight healthily, wouldn't he? Um, yeah, and that's it on talent. And so because suddenly when you compare him to say, obviously like a, a super prospect like Josh Taylor, but just from a physical matchup point of view, him against a Josh Taylor or in a long, long way away from that level, but against a Ricky Burns, he'd match up. When you see him fight against, you know, guys like Vassell and Eggington, you know, big guys. And Brooke, I mean, good God, the, the physical difference between the two of them. You know, he, he's not a 147-pound fighter, um, and he's made a living there when he shouldn't have done. This Dave Ryan fight, is a, I think, is as much a physical test of whether he can drop the extra two pounds properly He's got, you know, eight weeks to do it. Um, but there's a big, it's a big thing going backwards. Uh, I remember, like I've, said, I've told this story a hundred times, but I saw him before the Bundu fight um, on the Thursday. So the day before the weigh-in. And we, we asked him about this question about dropping the weight. And he said, look at me. He said, where could I lose seven pounds from? And he looked awful. Now he looked awful because obviously he hadn't made the weight correctly. But I don't know if he can drop it. I hope so because he, he has a a chance there to do something at 147 pounds. He's done. He got physically beaten up by Eggington. He won every round that Sam didn't put him down in for me, but physically he was not a match for him. Boxing wise, far too good. Physically couldn't compete. Yeah, and he'll have that problem. He'll have that problem against anybody. It was a physical mismatch, wasn't it? Completely. And, and, it, yeah. and it would be a physical mismatch against um, Amir Khan. It would be a physical mismatch against uh, Keith Thurman, against, you know, imagine a guy like Sean Porter, what he'd do to Gavin. He'd just sort of, he'd completely ragdoll him, wouldn't he? And Porter's not even not even the cream of the division. But imagine a guy like Errol Spence, for God's sake. He's twice Gavin's size. Um, you know, and maybe Gavin needs to get on the steroids, I don't know, and help himself boil down. But um, yeah, when you, when you see... Um, uh, when you see sort of guys like Canelo making 154 and Gavin's only a di- one division below and you just think, yeah... You know, this is this is no good. There's there's something wrong here, and I, I think, like you say, it's a case of him um, trying to crash the weight um, rather than sort of taking it off responsibly and maybe changing his habits and training seven days a week or whatever it is, however symbolic stuff like that might be. Maybe that'll help. And um, yeah, good, good luck to him. Um, I'd like to see him give it one last good go, purely because I think the division would be um, would be much more interesting with a couple more sort of Brits near the top at 140. And also, we mentioned this off the air. But if Frankie Gavin somehow beat Ricky Burns at 140, uh, several people on Twitter, I think, might genuinely kill themselves. And it would be it would be one of the greatest nights. Right. Are we saying it would be up there with it would be the British Chino versus Brona, wouldn't it? If, if Gavin just dominated Burns and like iced him in Scotland or something. Oh, it'd be yeah, I'd, it'd be amazing. Like I, I wouldn't get out. Of, I wouldn't get out of Glasgow alive um, if he won that fight because Pops would have murdered me um, and Brian by the time I'd left the arena. So yeah, I'd I'd love to see it. I like I said because I don't know if we can. If I can, just, I think Gavin just he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve the opportunity. But if he can do things properly and he can be given that fight. I, you know, I'd, I'd give him a chance, but I get, you know, I'm, I'm biased. I like, I like him. And when you watch, there was, there was times in the Eggerton fight where he boxed beautifully, you know, really beautifully. There's very few British guys who can put their shots together like him. The variety, the angles, 
but physically and the way he's looked after himself, it's just not been right. And he's his own worst enemy. There's no one to blame. It's not a trainer's fault. It's not injuries. Um, it's everything else. That's his problem. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, right now, just just quickly, um, Paul, because again, I'm wary of your time. Um, quick, 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 rapid fire questions. Uh, in light of Frank Warren winning the purse bids and getting Javonta Davis um, over here for uh, his shot against um, uh, Walsh and um, Eddie Hearn losing the purse bids and shipping Callum world-level Smith off to fight Anthony Durrell uh, somewhere in America, are the is the balance of power shifting? And will you be offering a formal apology to Mr. Warren and Queensbury Promotions? No, uh, because he's still got about 10 years worth to recover from. But it's a good start. Uh, I was shocked, to be honest, uh, when this fight was announced. Not that the fight was announced, but that he was going to come over here. I don't know what they're paying him, but I bet he's good. Um, It's a fight that's going to lose money because Javante's purse won't be covered um, by tickets alone. And I don't think BT have spent massive amounts on this deal so yeah I mean fair play what a bloody hard fight it'll be for Walsh uh, I think Davis is you know he's it's, it's raw talent but there's a there's ability behind it as well um, he's big at the big at the weight um, I think it's it, the time is now for he's been circling and dangling around this world title shot for what seems like forever um, and it just so happens that he's got it against a guy who is potentially a future star. He's not there yet. You know, he's had one, one good performance that we've seen. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a very, very good fight. And if you look at the amount of guys that are willing to come here now, um, I know the comparison you're going to make now is because with the Callum Smith thing, different levels in terms of money. Um, I wouldn't spend $1.4 million for a Callum Smith fight either. But it just shows one thing that Warren has done, and he's done this numerous times in the past, he's been willing to take an absolute swing to the balls on a show if it means getting a certain fighter or a certain opponent over it's a risk and a move that Hearn has just never done and I understand why he doesn't do it but as a fight fan you almost wish sometimes he went you know what sod it I want that fight I'm gonna pay more than it's worth and not just a bit more but a lot more Uh, and Warren like I said has done that I've done that many times so fair play I hope people go because you know it's, it's, it's a chance to see a very talented kid Yes, I agree. Um, I actually might try and go to that. Obviously, the undercard will be abysmal and will be about 15 fights long. Um, now, just very, very quickly, um, again, rapid fire. Saunders versus Golovkin. Do you believe it will happen in Kazakhstan in June? Yes or no? Yeah, do I believe it will happen? I'm going to say... I'm going to say yes, purely because I think that Billy's let the belt go for a reason. Um, I think he knows he'll fight Golovkin. Will he fight him in Kazakhstan? Probably not. I think he'll fight Golovkin, but I think he'll fight him in either America or in Europe. Oh, is it? Has he vac- is Kazakhstan, he has- Kazakhstan in Europe? So, He's not vacated, but there's an in- no. no, but there's the interim. So, so, so Kutsid is is fighting um, Langford for the interim Langford, belt yeah. on the basis that Saunders can't defend his title. So, yeah. for me, I think that's been done very much on purpose. But Lo- Loffler um, has because Loffler, there's a major fight. 
in the interviews, Loeffler um, has repeatedly talked about the next fight being in Kazakhstan, um, back in his hometown. Um, I don't know if that he hasn't mentioned an opponent, although there's lots of rumours about Saunders. But he has he has said sort of dozens of times in the last few weeks, we're trying to get Gennady to fight in his home country in uh, in June or whatever. Be a good, you know. I mean, that's the epitome of selling your belt, isn't it? Going into Golovkin's literal backyard. <laughs> that's Saunders. Saunders realizing, I think he's 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 sort of cashing out at, at the weight at least. Um, right now, well, uh, I think sorry, Saunders, yeah, Saunders yeah. has been sat. Sorry, Saunders has been sat waiting for the, an offer from one of the big two, hasn't he? You know, that's what he's been spending the last eighteen months doing. He wants he wants the big fight. Whether it's I don't think he cares whether it's Golovkin or whether it's Canelo. You know, Canelo is very unreliable in terms of how many times he fights and who he's going to fight. So Golovkin's the better, op- the better option. I don't think Saunders cares if he gets knocked out. You know, I think he's, again, as a, as a decent sized, good boxer, um, it might be interesting. But yeah, you'd certainly heavily back Golovkin to stop him. Yeah, stop him in the second half of the fight, I expect. Probably, a, I, don't, I don't see how Saunders could stand up to the body shots, really. Um, now, again, one word answer. Pacquiao's next opponent, Jeff Horn. Adrian Broner, Terence Crawford. Who's it going to be? Uh, well, it's not going to be Terence Crawford. Or is it going to be another? Not not on that list. The, the way they've talked is literally a case of, right, which country or what destination offers us the most money? So it actually leaves it very open to a lot of guys. I'm surprised that the likes of ITV or... Um, Fox Nation haven't looked at the Khan Pacquiao fight as a pay-per-view event. It wouldn't get 32 million like the pretend fight with the Arabs would get, but there's got to be some money in that. It won't be Crawford. I don't see it being Broner. Um, I really don't see that fight. So I would probably say them still, for me, the front runner is um, is a Khan fight. But all, all bets are open at the minute with Pacquiao. He could fight literally anyone if the money was right. Okay, and last one. Mikey Garcia said yesterday that he 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 wants to fight. Weirdly enough, this sort of a bit out of left field. Garcia said yesterday that he wants to fight Keith Thurman next. Um, is that a good fight? Yes or no? And would Garcia have a chance? Yes or no? Um, is it a is it a good fight? Yes, again, because Garcia's got the size. Could he go up? You know, it's a it's a jump um, against a big welter. Would he win? Uh, I'm not, you know, I like Garcia, but I'm not one of the Garcia fanatics. I know you're a big fan of him, aren't you? Um, well, I don't, but I don't think he beat Thurman at 147. Bloody no, I don't, think jump, he'd, I, don't, I don't think he'd probably touch most of the top guys at that way. I think he's, he's, he's good where he is now. Um, I don't see maybe jumping up to, because he's at 135 now, isn't he? I think jumping up to 140 yeah. um, is a possibility, but it's a hell of a jump. And like I said, it's, do it in stages. He might. He might say he wants that fight now. He just seems to be the kind of guy that will. You will, at least verbally, say he will fight anyone. Um, it's just a case of finding what opponent's gonna, um, gonna work for him. But no, no rush yet. Let him. You know, he's been out of the ring for a little while. He's had a good win, but let's just get him fighting first. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the last one. Where are we? Um, is Scott Cardle's run of British title defences the worst that you can remember? There's been a few guys who have tried to... This is the thing with this stupid Lonsdale belt rule of three defences. I don't agree with it. 
for me, if you win the British title, you win the British title. I think this making them making them have a set amount of fights when there's so much dross in the rankings at certain weights, and invariably fighters end up trying to manoeuvre. Um, like I remember when Paul Smith was trying to get Tobias Webb, I think. Well, Smith, opponent, so, and the board just... Smith refused to fight an opponent ranked in the top ten. He refused. He kept submitting opponents that were, yeah. and the board put a statement out because Smith, you know, Smith did the usual thing of saying, I don't know why they've stripped me. There was no explanation, blah, blah, blah. I've done nothing wrong. And the board put a statement out saying, um, we gave Smith a list of opponents um, ranked between ranked between like five and 10 or whatever. And he refused them all. And he kept offering guys ranked outside the top 10, like 11, 12, 13, you know, like, like you say, guys like Tobias Webb. And he, and the board eventually said, no, sorry, like you have to fight. So we're not, we're not saying you have to fight in the top five. We're saying top 10 and Smith wouldn't do it. So, you know, credit to them for, for sort of um, calling, calling his bluff on that one. But yeah, this Cardle thing, I agree with you. One of the questions we had was, um, um, is the is the rule about winning the British, British title outright actually damaging the domestic scene? I think it definitely is, right? Would you agree? Yeah, I 100% agree because fighters waste 12, 18 months of their career fighting, you know, occasionally sometimes very poor levels of opponents because they, they feel like they have to get the Lonsdale belt outright when reality is they, they shouldn't feel like that. They should be able to defend it once or eight times if they want. Uh, this, this notion of we've got to get to three, I think, is... Is very antiquated. That that probably that system worked when fighters fought ten times a year. I don't think it works anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, it's, yeah, especially when not only do you have Cardle sort of milking it, fighting absolute nobodies, but you have um, Luke Campbell sitting on his thumbs waiting to get a shot at Cardle once Cardle's won the belt outright. So it's just it just creates this kind of traffic jam in, in a division that actually could be reasonably exciting if if everyone actually fought each other. Um, Right, we had a couple of other uh, other quick questions. Um, if you were a boxer, what brand of gloves would you wear? Strange. Uh, I'd wear the gloves that Floyd and Canelo wore when they fought. I think they were Elvis Grant, aren't they? Oh, the Grant um, ones, yeah, the pillows. Yeah, the, shi- the shiny pillows. Because they'd A, because I know I don't box, so I couldn't tell you the benefit of an Everlast power lock over a, a Grant glove. Um, but I could tell you that they look shiny and... Uh, they look nice. You get, them in, think the, it, you get them in claret and blue, yeah? Get them in claret and blue. I think, I think it, the gloves thing is interesting. It all depends on the kind of fight you are. Obviously, power punches seem to favour more sort of traditional brands, don't they? Whereas um, like winning and Grant, you know, they're, they're much lighter or much more padded gloves, certainly, for your, for your brittle-handed fighters makes sense. But, yeah, shiny, shiny pair of Grants for me. Well, I know, um, uh, what was it? Uh, um... Reyes is the punches glove, isn't it? The one that all the um, that Pacquiao used to wear with the horse hair in it. I'll go for some Reyes. Um, uh, Paul and I will will meet at a catchweight, a Frankie Gavin style, at, at some day. Um, what well, a catchweight, probably I don't know, light light heavyweight, something like that. Be fair. Let you drain yourself down. Right now, very, very quickly, Paul, because I appreciate your very push for time. This weekend, big big weekend of fights coming up. Um, now you can pass on these if you don't care, and then we can just do the big ones. Michael, Con- <laughs> Michael Conlon's debut, and this is no disrespect to Michael Conlon, but I'm personally not that interested in debuts generally. I think they're, they're almost always one to a hundred mismatches. Um, so I will certainly not be staying up to watch Michael Conlon beat some journeyman in two rounds. Although I like the guy, good luck to him. I hope he wins, but I won't be staying up for it. Um, yeah, do you do you care about the Conlon debut? Uh, I care about Conlon a lot. Um, I think that Top Rank have done an amazing job promoting the show and promoting him. Um, unfortunately, they've put him in with 
you know, a, a, a very basic start, shall we say. You know, but it was the same for Joshua. It was the same for Luke Campbell, again, both Olympic medalists, although that Conlon obviously had a bit of a disaster at the Olympics. What happened to him? Um, no, I'm not interested. If it go, in terms of the fight, if it goes past two or three rounds, uh, I think that's a bit of an issue. You know, this is this is a showcase for Conlon to banjo the guy in front of a load of Irish fans and get him on, get him on side. Uh, but I'm very, I'm not, you know, it takes me a while to get sold on a prospect. I'm very, very interested to what Conlon, what, what Conlon can do. Um, so I will be watching, but I'm, I'm not particularly, you know, I won't be reading too much into the fight. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I generally just don't care that much about debuts. I also don't really care that much about get well fights when a guy's been out for a long time. So uh, do you give a shit about Andy Lee's return? Yes, yes or no is fine. Um, he's not. He's fighting some some guy with you know dozens of losses. No, I like Andy Lee, but I'm not. I don't care about the fight. It's just about getting him out again, isn't it? There's nothing more to read into it. No, exactly. I don't, I'm not sure if it's. I think it will be on the top rank. Um, no, sorry, not the top rank. Um, the is it a Golden Boy promo? No, I don't know. Whatever, whatever the um, the one that they put out yeah. for free online, you know, uh, the the prelims. Um, it will yeah. be on one of them. So I'll, I'll probably watch it. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna stay up for the fight. Um, quick one. Andy Lee versus David Lemieux. Best best action fight in the division? Oh, brilliant. I love that fight. Again, just two big, massive punches. What's not to like about that? That's a, that's a very good fight to make. It's not going, not going past three rounds, is it? No way. No. Nope. <laughs> right. Now, very quickly, um, Quadras against Carmona. That's a fairly easy win for Quadras. Decision almost guaranteed. Um, if I don't know what the odds are, but Carmona went 12 with Inuace. So there's no way Quadras is stopping him. So if the odds are good, I suggest everyone bets on that. Um, what, now, what, uh, are the, what, are the odd, what are the odds on Quadras failing a drugs test? If yeah. that should be high, stay up, stay up his back. Yeah, and he's been on, he's WBC, isn't he? He was WBC champ. So he was yeah. presumably doing Varda. He doesn't have spots. He has boils. I yeah. mean, Jesus, yeah, yeah it's stay of him. Did you watch the two days, um, the HBO one with Gonzalez? Um, because you know, you know that uh, it's it's a very very good show. First of all, it's all about you know him him and the memory of Alexis Arguello, and it's it's the two days before the Quadras fight last year. Great great little twenty minute documentary on YouTube if people haven't seen it. But um, there's a, there's a few close ups of the weigh in, and um, because of the lighting, you can just see Quadras's neck and back, and it it looks like the surface of the moon. Do you know what I mean? It's disgusting. Um, yeah, how that guy has not has not <laughs> failed a test. It's ridiculous. But I do quite like him. If anyone didn't see it, he gave um he gave Gonzalez a, a Barbie doll at the presser yesterday. Um <laughs> and said he said something about like sucking his thumb or you know, I think it was it was some sort of homophobic thing. But um very funny and um uh, that, that I'm looking forward to that rematch. Having said that, I am picking the tie to win. I think Gonzalez is gonna lose this weekend. Um I've bet some money on the um the, the, the tie guy to um I've got money on him to stop stop him in the second half of the fight at fourteen to one, and I've got money on him to win either way at eight to one. Um, I think this is a perfect storm for the upset. Uh, I could well be wrong, you know. Um, I, I like Gonzalez. I certainly want him to win, really. But um, I think he's about to turn thirty. His trainers just died. Um, he's had a very long career. I thought he looked undersized against Quadras last time out at 115. I think he's too small for the weight. I think he's having an absolute nightmare making 115, strangely enough. He's undersized, but also I think his body's slowing down. Jamie Conlon, if people didn't see it, put up a Facebook post yesterday of him, um, sort of him in Madison Square Garden with uh, Gonzalez, you know, doing the pose. Um, and they said, 
uh, did you ask for any any tips from him? Uh, one of his fans had replied to, to Conlon, did you get any tips? And he said, no, he didn't say a word to me. The guy could barely stand up. He's having, this is a quote from Conlon, he could barely stand up. He's really struggling with the weight. Um, and this this two-day show that I mentioned a moment ago, Gonzalez was, was pretty tight at the weight then. Um, he's fighting a guy who's a huge body puncher, um, who's naturally bigger, who hits very, very hard, who almost knocked Quadras out before that fight was stopped on a head clash. Um, and I, I just feel like Gonzalez has kind of, he's, he's peaked physically, but he's also peaked in terms of what he's going to achieve in the sport. There's no way he's going to move up and win a fifth belt in a, in a fifth weight class, or I, I don't think it will happen. I think he'd be way too small at 118. I think he's, he's reached the heights he meant to reach. He won a fourth belt last time out, a fourth, um, uh, number one sort of number one spot in a division, um, which Arguello could never do. He surpassed Alexis Arguello. He's the best Nicaraguan fighter ever. I think this is all set up for an for a if if not an upset, a really really grueling fight that that looks a bit like sort of Hagler against Mugabe. That kind of a fight where you think, okay, he's starting to turn now do you know what I mean where, where, you, where you can see that he's past his peak so if anyone wants a little bit at the weekend that's my recommendation um uh what's his name Rung Savai or uh I forget Rung Vasai Rung Vasai um I was trying to learn how to say it but I, I think he's got a good shot at the upset here and um he's currently still eight or nine to one so I think that's huge value um Paul are you, are you picking the upset no, I think all of your logic makes perfect sense. I think that everything you said was right, but I don't think this is the right opponent to do that. I think that I think Gonzalez is right. Everyone's pound for pound number one fighter. I think that you're right. I think the weight is an interesting one for him. I think the fact that he's struggling potentially, as Os Conlon said, and a few others have said, with the look of him. Um, but no, I think he wins. Um, I think potentially though the loss isn't that far away. Uh, but I don't think that um, it will be Saturday. I think he wins the fight. That's um, interestingly, you, you can get um, about two and a half to one on him to win by points, which is a pretty good bet. Gonzalez to win a decision that is, which is a pretty good bet as well. Because um, I'd be very surprised if he knocked out um, Rumbasai, who's who's been hasn't been stopped in something like twelve years or something, um, and is uh, interestingly enough made his debut against former lineal champion um, Akira Yagashi. So yeah, they they don't they don't do things by halves in Thailand. You, they stuck him in against the lineal champ on his debut. Absolutely, and, and needless to say, he got knocked out in 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 about three or four rounds. Um, and Paul, just sorry, I'm I'm rushing here because I know you 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 have to shoot off in a sec. But um, Jacobs Golovkin um, is the miracle man, as they loved. Did you know he had cancer? By the way, I don't know if he's mentioned it. Um, <laughs> literally, I, I was watching. Um... I was watching the 24-7 and I was thinking in my head, how long until he mentions cancer? Literally within within 90 seconds it was mentioned. Um, do you think he's got a shot uh, this weekend, Paul? Do you give him any chance at all? It's interesting because lots of people survive cancer. Not many people win a world title. So I think that Jacobs' is, his ability um, and how he's got so far in his career, is it's, it's almost... I understand why he talks about the, the cancer so much, but... Um, it's I suppose it's a selling point in a way, but you know I think he's just uh, phenomenal with or without a uh, very so phenomenal phenomenal achievement to have done what he's done. Um, but he's in with the best fighter in the world. Uh, I'm one of those that if if Golovkin does lose, um, I won't say ah I told you so. He was exposed by this, he was exposed by that. He's too old. He's too this. For me, he 
he has he should and has the potential to be the best fighter in the world. I think Jacobs is not tailor-made for him because, like I said, he's a, he's a good mover, but I think Golovkin will knock him out. I think that Golovkin needs to kind of alleviate some of those little lingering doubts. You could tell the Brook performance frustrated him a little bit, whether it was because he thought that it, it would just be a blowout. And I think when he took a couple of those punches in the early rounds, he looked annoyed at himself and people were starting to question him. However, if he wants a mega fight with a certain ginger Mexican, then I don't know if it does him any favours to absolutely banjo Jacobs in a round or two. Uh, I think that would probably put Canelo off, but I think it'll be a early stoppage for Golovkin. And uh, again, people will criticise him because people seem to always try and find holes in him. I, he's my favourite fighter in the world. I don't understand why anyone dislikes him, but there are some people that are determined to try and talk down what he's done and, it's, it's, and his it, ability. It, it does it does baffle me a little bit. I mean, I, I can I can imagine if 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 there are any purists out there, they might they might sort of criticise him for sort of. For, for getting hit a bit too much in the Brook fight or whatever. And that and that's fine if you're if you're a real boxing sort of Pernell Whitaker style purist. But um I think peop the people who consistently criticize him, I think purely well part partly it's it's just they, they just want to be contrary, don't they? And they just want to stir up some some stuff. But I mean what can you criticize the guy for? He he's clearly willing to fight anyone. He gets knockouts every single time. Um he fight he's active uh, he fight, he fights the best that he can get. You know, um, he doesn't. You know, there's no videos of him sort of going down on strippers or beating up his girlfriend or you know, um, getting some girl pregnant and then I don't know, fucking off to the other side of the world or anything like that. He's he's a a nice guy. Um, he speaks well and he and he brings it every single time. I really think people, the people criticizing him, they're just desperate to uh, to sort of be different, aren't they? And yeah. Yeah, I think he really gets, and he's obviously it's been drilled into him, but he really gets what people want. When he, when he does these little silly big drama, I won't do his voice because that's just insulting, but you know, when he does these things about being a Mexican style and a big drama show, do you know what? I, th- I think he really gets it. And the best thing about him is he can bang, but he can box beautifully when he wants to as well. And like I said, the reason I went to London on my own, um, which I hate London, as you know, um, but I went through all that to sit up in the rafters was a chance to see him live. And I've seen some, I've been lucky. I've seen a lot of very good fighters. I've never seen anyone cut off the ring or maneuver an opponent like he does. He, he is just from, like, if you watch Golovkin, watch, just watch his feet and his arms. They're almost like levers. He's got you where he wants. And then when he's got you in that position, he doesn't half put people away. He's brilliant to watch. And I think the, the matchup is a good one. I think from Golovkin's side, it will make him look good um, on Saturday. And then, yeah, let's roll on for that that mega so, fight with Canelo. Are you saying, sorry, did you say early knockout was your prediction? I, th- I think he has the ability to do it. I think, I think Jacobs, uh, I'm not quite sure how Jacobs can see himself going rounds. I don't think taking Golovkin rounds is the way to beat him. I think you have to meet him and then hopefully try and take him out or land something heavy because, you know, he's good defensively, but he's not great defensively. He can walk onto shots. You know, that, that uppercut that Brook threw was a good punch, but from a welterweight, if he took a similar punch from an Andy Lee type, for example, or a, you know, a heavy hitting middleweight, he's going to be hurt by that. It doesn't matter how good a fighter he is, he will get hurt. I think Jacobs, his only chance is to try and meet him 
um, and uses, I suppose, would you even say Jacobs has got a speed advantage? I'm not so sure. Um, I, I, I would say I've actually been doing quite, I, I really don't like Jacobs. He was one of the first people to ever, the first boxer to ever block me on Twitter, which I'm quite proud of, years and years ago. I really don't like him in terms of the way his career's gone. I think he's a fake champion. I think, he, you know, he's got the regular belt or whatever it is. Load of nonsense. Not a real world champion. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I, I think he's massively overrated. Um, and there was a certain degree of luck to the Quillen fight, as, as I think there always is when you knock someone out within a minute. Um, I think there's always an element of luck with, with, with fights like that. Uh, not saying that he was didn't deserve to win or anything, or he wouldn't have won the fight in the end. But um, I, I think Jacobs has a slight hand speed advantage, and that's literally it. Everything else he does is worse, is visibly worse than Golovkin. It's not really close. Like, the other thing was um, I was listening to the HBO podcast and they were doing their, their sort of CompuBox analysis. Um, and I know some people don't, don't like the punch stats so much, but this was to do with um, uh, average punches thrown, which I think can tell you a lot about a fighter. Forget connect rates or anything like that, because that's all down to the opponent. But Jacobs doesn't throw that many jabs. Golovkin throws about twice as many jabs on average as Jacobs. And I think that could be the difference. Um, and I think if Jacobs has to sort of get on his foot, his um his the balls of his feet and jab i think that that will go against his instincts whereas he does actually quite like to sort of be the one pushing his opponent back and sort of be the boss i just don't think his defense is good enough i think he'll get hit early um and it will make him go into his shell i watched um, lemieux golovkin back um recently as i mentioned before and um if you watch that round if you watch that fight as soon as lemieux sits down in his corner after the first round his trainer shouts in english you need to go defensive because he's and he basically is admitting after three minutes you can't win. You've just got to like hope he makes some stupid mistake. Um, and Lemieux, you know, we saw after that he was just covering up and sort of flicking out the occasional the occasional jab and you know occasionally swinging for the fences. I think it's going to look pretty similar to that. I might put some money on Jacobs to go into the second half of the fight because that's about. It's almost three to one. I don't think there's any real value in an early KO, but um, I'd be surprised if Jacobs went in the first three or three or four rounds. I think it will be round six or seven, something like that, around the halfway point. Um, I'd be amazed if Jacobs won. Uh, I've seen Golovkin get hit by bigger punchers than him, and it did absolutely nothing. People forget that Stevens caught Golovkin a couple of times with fairly clean shots, and Stevens is a bigger one-punch guy than Jacobs. And um, Golovkin just did, didn't react at all. Um, and, he, you know, guy, guy, he, he's been hit before um, by guys who can by guys who can hurt you. Um, Jacobs has been hit by Sergio Mora and he was all over the place. So I think, you know, we're talking about two completely different levels here. Um, I don't like Jacobs. I hope he gets absolutely, you know, ruined. Um, I'm going to say seventh round knockout I think it will go just over halfway and I think Golovkin will break him down a bit with the jab and then his like you say his footwork um and his ability to cut off the ring which is um he's one of the best at it that I've ever seen um actually I'm struggling to think of anyone who's as good at him as cutting off uh, cutting off the ring um Margarito was bloody Margarito in his prime was very good at it but um obviously he wasn't wasn't on the level talent wise as Golovkin but yeah um hope, hope hope for a good fight anyway and also um We've got Glenn Tapia against Jason Quigley next week, uh, which could be a bet for a first round knockout because Tapia is absolutely done. And Quigley is a Quigley's a very good prospect. I'm quite excited about where he goes. Um, he's been knocking people out for fun recently. And I think T- Tapia shouldn't be fighting anymore. Um, Paul, just to finish off, six degrees of Tony Dodson. 
Um, it was John Simpson to Asselino Freitas, and you've jinxed me because I've lost the game for the first time ever. Um, my route was to go John Simpson to John Murray to Brandon Rios to Anthony Peterson, strangely enough, to Javier Haragi, the beloved journeyman, and then to... <laughs> He fought, um, he fought Provodnikov a couple of years ago. That's where I knew the name from. And then to Freitas from there. Um, Dewey Powell chimed in with... Um... <laughs> he <laughs> to Asselino Freitas to Lord, Lord Barry Jones, to Peter Buckley, to Lee Selby, to John Simpson, which is a pretty good one. That was four for Barry. And then we also had um, uh, Simpson to Coyle, Coyle to Katsidis, Katsidis to Diaz, and then Diaz to Freitas, which I think is the quickest one. So I've been absolutely destroyed. Um, oh my god! No, wait. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting some outrageous, outrageously dishonest entries. Um, but yeah, sorry, Paul. I, where I'm keeping you, I'll let you go. Um, I have to get you back on at some point, though, mate. Um, maybe before the Brum card or something uh, to end of April or something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely happy to come back on. It was, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like I say, it's a Golovkin fight week. You know, if you if you can't enjoy that, I don't know what you can enjoy. To be honest, it's it's a lot of people complain and moan about things, but you know, there's only so many times he's going to fight. So it's one he's one of those rare guys that I will stay up till four a.m. for. There aren't many of them, and he is definitely one of them. Exactly, man. He's he's thirty. He's thirty-five. Gonzalez is thirty. Enjoy them while they're still here, right? Absolutely right. Right. And, and on that note, thank you very much for tuning in, everyone. We've had quite a, quite a few listeners this week. Paul has um, brought his uh, faithful harem with us. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for, for listening. And um, I'll be back in a fortnight. I'm not sure what the fights will be to preview then, but um, it will be back in two weeks anyway. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye bye.